Good morning and welcome to Morning Java, brought to you as always by our friends at the Get-Go Cafe and Market, where they are still serving the captain. And if that sounds really authoritative, that's because it is. This sandwich is the boss, Moan. It's cod. That's what I figure. Yeah, it's cod. And I'm sure you, at this time of year, you've had it at, at Get-Go, I'm, I'm guessing, around mm-hmm. the corner there from the Steelers practice facility. It comes yeah. on a bun, comes on a wrap, comes with everything you want. You pick your cheese, you do everything. It's good stuff. Ramon Foster's in Hendersonville, Tennessee, freshly back from Florida. How how, yes. how did Florida treat you? Man, I'm going to pull up my arm here, people. And I saw it yesterday. I was like, what the heck is going on here, okay? Let, let's you see this. You got guys. Sunburned, and I'm peeling now. Kind of crazy. And was while I'm sitting under an umbrella, and one arm, this left arm, was outside of the umbrella. <laughs> And it got baked. And you know what, DK? I was uh, like, I'll be all right. I'm black. We don't really get sunburned like that. It's different good. variations of black, okay? Yeah. I'm light-skinned black, okay? There it goes. Dark black. So hey, here one I way, am. One way or another, you had those toes sprinkling through the sand there. And I'm sure that. you enjoyed yourself. And I know you went down there with the family and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's talk about some stuff that happened um, up here in the northern hinterlands while you were down there. Uh, the Steelers made some moves, but not from the place you normally expect them to be made. No. They were made at the player level. Who other than Ramon Foster engages in such chicanery? <laughs> I'll tell you who Steve Nelson does. Oh, okay. Let's Steve hear it. Nelson and Let's Juju and so does Tyson. Yep. Um, Steve's situation was very, very interesting to me. One, I thought Steve has had a really good like last two seasons. Legitimately yep. has played well. And I don't understand why they were either asking him for a pay cut. I understand why he would want a pay raise and they say no because why? That's just business. But I couldn't understand why he wanted out. And I still don't. I hadn't really talked to him except for my little back and forth banner on social media. <laughs> but besides from that, Pittsburgh, I guess, just chose to say, we're not going to do this again. And I don't think it's any fault of Steve's. It's just sometimes players try to maximize as much as they can, try to get as much as they can out of. That's the name of the game. Ownership does it. Players have the right to do it also because it's free enterprise if they allow you. Pittsburgh allowed Steve, go seek a trade. Yes. Go get us some value. Yes. Do your thing. We're Who does that? Who, that is not but, common. This is what I tell you, valuable. I said this before we actually got on. He was like, hold it. But it was teams <laughs> learn of Pittsburgh learned a valuable lesson. That valuable lesson is, look, don't try to hold on. If you got somebody that's disgruntled, let them do what they have to. Because at the end of the day, you're going to either get what you want or you're going to realize that it's actually sharks in the water out here. Yeah. And you got to fight and fan for whatever you can. I think Steve put a side eye up on his social media or something like that, I think, recently. And it's let me know that he's got some takers. It's just a matter of what that takes. No, no. Is. He'll, 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 he's going to find employment. Yes, yeah, 100%. But 100%. At, when you tweet out like he did the, the line about hostage, and, and you do that with – a team that has a head coach that uses that specific term we don't want to hostages. describe loyalty. Yeah, we don't want hostages here. And, and I believe the first time that came up was with Lev. 
Yeah. Uh, and, uh, he's, he instead looked at this situation and said, I, I, I don't know what he was thinking because then a half hour later he, he, he tweets out that, oh, the Roonies are the greatest and I want to thank the whatever, unless he just started mm-hmm. seeing himself as being portrayed as a bad seed, which I think I think you and I would agree he's not that. No, that's not Steve no. at all. No, the oh, whole I'm, thing wasn't Steve. I'm, I'm thinking, again, fans and players and ownership has have this weird relationship, okay? For Steve to actually get to this point, they probably told Steve, hey, Steve, let look. This salary cap situation is kind of bad this year. Your position, we think we can we either have a guy or we can find a guy. Yeah. Go seek a trade. And that's probably how it went down. Or it, I just can't see him being disgruntled because, like, that ain't Steve. Steve is a go-harder. He is bought in. He is what you want in a stiller, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that was the business side of it. But when it hits the public side of social media – the fans are like, screw you, you're supposed to be faithful to oh, us. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like, nah, that's not how it went down. So when he, you know, decided to smooth over the cake and say, hey, look, I, I got a nice piece over here. Y'all can still going to have a nice thing. Y'all still going to have a nice thing, but. No, nah, the horse left the barn. Yeah. yeah. That's, but yeah. I, I'll say this. If it was Steve, Pittsburgh is smart and saying, look, we're not going to have this public display of arguments. Everything that we do is in-house. We're going to keep it in-house, which has always been the Pittsburgh way. Well, and I think the, 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 press, the press release that came out 20 minutes later was very public, yeah. and it was yeah. one sentence. <laughs> but it was – I think what happened in the past with guys that either wanted out, wanted more, or thought it was something better on the other side, and Pittsburgh tried to hold on to it, and now they're like, nah – we got to adjust to the way the game is now. Truth be told, the way you see a guy like J.J. Watt move, um, you see a bunch of these guys. The only reason I remember him is because he asked ownership out of yeah. Houston, and he went and chose the team that he wanted to. I, I think that's going to be a, a solid part of the way this league is going to move forward mm-hmm. and, you know, in the future if, I'll say this, if you have that type of pull. Not everybody can do that. Mm-mm. No. And the same thing also happened – with Juju, I think. You know, it's go, go in free agency. We'll be here if you need us. Um, I do think it was smart for Juju to come back, Juju to come back on this one-year deal mm-hmm. and play in a system that he knows, a quarterback that he knows, um, environment that he's used to, and know that if for anything he's going to be thrown to, I think, like a WR1, even though Deontay is just as good, some think even better. Juju Steele's going to get his touches because I'll say this, Ben knows how to play the game of, look, I'm going to get you paid. And he does that well. Look at the receivers that he's pinpointed. When Ben pinpoints someone, and this person right now is Juju, let's go to Plexico. Did it with Hines. Did it with Santonio. Did it with Mike Wallace. Emmanuel kind of had it a little bit. Then AB got it. And then... (laughs) I'm, I'm going to keep going. And now yeah, it's, it's a list. He's going to yeah. get it. And if he's around for Chase Claypool or, no, Deontay and then Clay, uh, Chase Claypool, they're going to get it. Ben has gotten his WR1 paid every single time. Now, it's it's uh, it's a, a departure and then a sort of return, I, I yeah. guess, for Juju. And then there's the Tyson Alualu story, which I, I just can't believe that you weren't involved in. 
this is this was this was pretty extraordinary stuff because yeah. in the sense that when you agree to terms to a yeah. contract here, I'm not going to take a shot at Tyson here. He's 34. This might be the last deal he signs. Yeah. But when you say you've agreed to terms, you and or your agent are kind of beholden to that. Yeah. That's one thing. The other thing, Ramon, is that from the Steelers' perspective, it takes some serious stones to pick up the phone yeah. and say, hey, did you actually sign this thing <laughs> or did you just kind of sign it? Who has that kind of courage there? Now, my understanding is that Coach Coach Dunbar, Carl Dunbar, who, who works the, the defensive line, beloved. Great guy. I, I knew you were coming with that. Great guy. If, if, he, if He's the offensive line version of Muntek, okay? I wow. love Coach Dunbar. He, he's so cool. Before you get more into him, he hit me up on Instagram just to say, what's up, man? Like, Solid and think about Coach Dunbar, middle aged guy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram, like that lets you know how relatable he is. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. now, He's I, a solid dude. Sometimes oh. the word beloved, and you heard it coming out of my mouth here before you jumped in, and 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 and, and, and it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, uh, that, that's, I love that, that's that's what he they uh, they see the the players that that play directly for him who are in his classroom see him as. He's his own man, but he's also an yeah. extension of Coach Mitch, John Mitchell, who was the defensive line coach for yeah. oh my god, <laughs> like forever. It's like yeah, it's for Chuck Noll. Uh, <laughs> this is this is from the way I understand it, a scenario in which Coach Dunbar, uh, Cam, Steph, TJ reached out and said, "Hey, <laughs> come home." You know, <laughs> I saw I saw somebody say on social media, this is one of the only occurrences in which COVID has benefited the Steelers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because, well, for anybody who doesn't know, Tyson had had yeah. COVID and apparently had no issue with it, which is good. Uh, but he couldn't. But he couldn't, he couldn't. He couldn't sign it. And even in this day and age where you have electronic signing, you know, thumbprint on your iPhone yeah. signing, when it comes to an NFL contract, Moan, how? Every one of them that you I, signed was pen on paper, right? It was. I had to sign it, fax it in, or scan it in, and then I get the official form in the mail and have to sign the literal one that the Steelers are going to get, and then I would get my copy from that. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's pen the pad type of deal. Like, oh, that's yeah. why you see guys fly in for it. Or I think Tyson had to go in possibly for a physical also. Yes. So that well, was another aspect yeah. of his. And Juju character. came in too just now when he signed his. He was at South Water Street. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think he'd been in Pittsburgh at the time. He flew back. Why? Because you sign it on, in, paper. In, on paper. So Tyson comes home. He comes home for less money. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we can debate whether or not that was the case with Juju because there was some weird stuff going on there. It was. But with Tyson, I don't think he can. There was an offer there that the Jacksonville, the Jacksonville offer was two years. And six million. We haven't heard the the firm numbers yet. Yeah, on Pittsburgh, but we do know that they're lower. I'm I'm thinking Tyson probably got two for five, probably yeah. three and a half for this year or something like that. Something like that, where he's taking that they care can spread of, down the cap. Exactly. So yeah. he comes back. He comes back for less money. Moan, please. Only you can do this with this group of people. Uh, take us through how. A player would come to that. How how could he be talked back into that? 
and, and what is it about that atmosphere? Because all we ever oh. hear about the Steelers' atmosphere is TikTok this, dancing on logos that. No. Take, us, take us through that part of it. That, well, let me just say this before we get there. That is because that gets more clicks. That it, agitates it does, the actually. right people. <laughs> it, gets, it agitates the right people. You're supposed to be a football player. Let me tell you people this, number one. These guys are making a lot of money off the field. I had a guy tell me that, like, he was like, you're basically silly for not having a TikTok. I was like, dude, I'm not a TikTok guy. He's like, all you need is 10 seconds, two or three times a day, and it's a moneymaker. And these guys realize that. So this, the same as fantasy football, is a part of the game now for an, until something else comes up. So I'll just say that. Why would a guy come back and take less? Because they really don't want to leave anyway. Period. I never really wanted to leave Pittsburgh. I love the relationships. The, those guys you you brought up, Cam, Stefan, TJ. Um, I'm no, sure. On, on your side of the ball, too. But yeah. Yeah, on my side of the ball, like when it was, dog, I'm going to be real with you. Like this is a, this ain't even an interview. This is a conversation with everybody who's listening. When it came down to me looking at other rooms, I ain't want to be around nobody except Marquise. I ain't want to be around nobody except for Dave, Al, Marcus Gilbert, Kelvin Beecham, and Matt Filer. Like, I, I don't, I don't want nothing to do with anybody else. Like that brotherhood of being around those guys. Like, it would have been so hard to detach myself from them. And you ask yourself, what is one or two million dollars? It's a lot of bread. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, my sense of my peace of mind with those guys and knowing what I'm getting myself into. That group that, let's say, Tyson's going to is a badass group still. You know what I'm saying? It, it oh, actually and, is. Actually, and, so, and he's he's part of why it he's is. He's part of the band, yes. okay? He ain't in the back just playing the bass. Uh-uh. No. Tyson's up front with an air guitar, okay? He's doing his thing. When, when he, I was like, that one or two looks so good. And, yes, we're, we're talking about millions and stuff like that. But, like, this group, I know on Sundays when it comes down to it, we are going to kick ass. They love me. They love my kids. They love my wives. I know their kids. My son, RJ, was 10 years old. No, 11 years old when we left this NFL league. Mm-hmm. He came in when he was zero. Okay. He came, so they saw my son grow up. That family atmosphere is there. You can diss the whole TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, social media world. When it comes down to being inside that building, you want to be inside that building with those guys because the purity of it is football. The show is what happens outside of it. And that's the part that I enjoyed why I came back to Pittsburgh every single time. And I knew this, too. We were going to win. I've heard so many guys, their checks, okay, will be $868,000 every two weeks, but they were miserable. Oh, they went to the Jets. They hated it. Yeah. So. Oh, just go ahead and say Beach. <laughs> because that's what happened. Was, it, he, it, Beach wasn't happy there. No. And he, was still, he was still a good football player. Yes, Lamar and I talked. I talked to him Arizona. after he went there, and I talked to Gil after he went to to, to Phoenix. And you know, I mean, they were they were still in the NFL, and they were grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's not the same. Yeah, thing. And, and, and you think James Harrison was happy in Cincinnati? I don't think James Harris is happy anywhere. But he loved <laughs> Pittsburgh. I know that much. I'm sure okay. you know that. 
<laughs> just I mean, look at all the guys that's left, and why certain guys come back and retire still. Santonio Holmes came back home. Yeah, Kevin Green didn't spend that much of his career in Pittsburgh. No, but he still came back. Yeah, because and, well, that's partially because you're appreciated in play, in a place like this too. People I mean, like to be where they're appreciated. And, and I'm here to tell you know people ask why would somebody come back for less? Why did Tyson come back? It's because you know at the end of the day you're not in Pittsburgh playing for the show. It's not America's team because you said and you want to brand it. No, the brand of Steeler football still is high as ever, and people realize that. People embrace that. That's why when you lose, you go home. Because if you see somebody out, they're going to tell you, hey, you suck today, okay? <laughs> like That's the way it goes in Pittsburgh. And, and when I do my show here in Nashville, like, I, 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 I brag on the, the Steelers because I'm like, y'all don't understand the culture. Like, when, when we had a chance to interview Bud when he came down here, and just, I'll say this, when Bud was talking about what that Pittsburgh Steelers locker room meant to him, you had a bunch of Titans fans calling in and tweeting us on the show like, we got to get a piece of that. I'm ready yeah. to go through the wall. Yeah. That's every Sunday for us, man. It's oh, normal to us. Yeah, it's not. It's, you it's, know, the only yeah. the only thing I'm going, DK. I know I can tell. I can tell. And I kind of knew this one would do that. The, the, the only thing I'll add to this is, and I come back to this quite a bit, are the scenes in Paul Brown Stadium. Uh downstairs after the game is over and when people mm -hmm. ask me to describe what a camaraderie is like what a brotherhood is like in a locker room i picture a couple of things i picture uh vince williams being on the other side of your wall he was behind you oh. and vince would just sit there you know what you well you know i'm, I'm gonna do a vince here for you like this yeah. with his hands on yeah. his knees leaning forward looking out and and other guys walking by just kind of doing this or whatever but he doesn't budge Don't move. okay and you, you know how intelligent this man is to become in that moment so primal yeah. that you know that there's something going on there i picture after one of those bloodbaths dave and al uh, for anybody who doesn't know who we're referring to, when we say this, David DeCastro and Alejandro Villanueva, they sat across from Ramon. Yeah. And those two guys taking their tape off. Standing up. And looking at each other going, what the hell were we just part of out there? Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and the last one I've got out of this scene, because you're always at one end. At the locker point. stall, and Gill is all the way on the other. You're because you're you and Marquise, <laughs> yeah. you and Marquise inseparable. And and there's and there down there is, is Gil, Marcus Gilbert. Yeah. He's still playing. Yeah. He's so mad. And you won the game. And yeah, he's still boy. mad. And he's looking around. And I he sees I'm, I'm coming around the corner after one of these things. Mm -hmm. I got done talking to linebackers, and he stops me because he wants to talk. He wants me to turn yep. the, the, the he wants me to turn yeah. the, the recorder on because he wants to say bad things about the Bengals. I'm like, dude, yeah. go nuts. Go nuts. You're the best. Bruh, yeah. But it, that it, doesn't it, go away. That doesn't it fade. Doesn't. It doesn't, man. I can remember Dave and Al both, bro. What the and you know what's out. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. That look of just despair, like, what? This ain't 
football. And that's what everybody said. And one of these dudes was in three tours of combat. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) Think about that. Just three tours of of just In Afghanistan. Three tours of life, okay? (laughs) Didn't know if you were going to come back. And he's questioning what's going on. It was – but you knew – I knew this, though. That guy that was to my left, the guy that was at the end of the lockers with some young guys in between him, Al – Dave, BJ, Matt, and I think it may have been a skilled guy or an active guy right across from the DBs on this wall. You got Joe over here. Yeah, they're all over over there. Over on that side. This is Uh, Paul Brown Stadium, by the way, people. We're not doing Heinz Field is easy. We're laying out the locker setup in Paul Brown Stadium. Yeah, yeah. The running backs are in the corner. And they're walking back and forth. Coach T's late in there because he got to dress some stuff out on the field. Kevin Colbert's in the locker room just telling us to stay calm. And just, it's, just, and you guys just like outside beating down the door trying to get in to get the yeah, first yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's so much that, you know, through all of that, I knew though that those guys that I just named out where they were defensive line behind us in the lockers, as you said, where Vince was behind us. I knew without a doubt that those dudes had my back and I was willing to do whatever I could for them so that we can make it out there with a win and also get justification for whatever happened out there. And you know what I mean? I was willing to get a fine and I did get one. Yeah, you did. Joined now by Dave Molinari, Hall of Fame hockey writer and, and David, one of the things that we're seeing happen with the Penguins of late and the, the I guess you'd have to categorize their place in the standings as a surprise, is that they've overcome a lot of injuries and they've done so with speed. They've done so with the roster, almost without exception, that Jim Rutherford assembled. So Ron Hextall and Brian Burke still haven't put their own fingerprints on the team other than adding Mark Friedman a few weeks back. What what will this roster look like because both of these gentlemen have told you that they they want to see this team get you know add some size and add some add some toughness or snarl. Well, adding those qualities doesn't necessarily preclude adding guys who can skate. Mm. You know, big guys are uh, able to skate too. You might recall a gentleman named Kevin Stevens who played mm-hmm. here. And, uh, you know, now there aren't many Kevin Stevens around, um, even all these decades later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, getting bigger doesn't necessarily mean uh, becoming a plodding team. And I don't think. Mike Sullivan necessarily would have an objection to having bigger players if they can skate. You know, he certainly doesn't mind having Zach Aston Reese, for example, on the team. He's a relatively large guy. They have some other bigger forwards who who are filling roles, uh, Lafferty and Anthony Angelo. Um, So, you know, I, I don't think it's that... Uh, Sullivan has a, a bias against big players. Um, but, you know, finding big guys who skate well, which, you know, is uh, 
more uh, in tune with the style he likes to play is tougher than finding smaller guys who skate well. Yeah, I, I think back. I think I can imagine that that a lot of people watching this are immediately thinking of Ryan Reeves, who uh, is an enormous guy and who could skate pretty well. And for reasons that will probably never be completely clear, uh, Sullivan just didn't use him. Uh, go ahead. No, I mean, I mean, I share your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Ryan Ryan Reeves wasn't an all star by any means. But I don't think he was a liability. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that Jim Rutherford would make a trade of, of the magnitude that he did give up the assets that he did uh, to get Ryan Reeves without first discussing it with Mike Sullivan and, and you know, agreeing that uh, it, it would be worth it, that he would be uh, he would be used, that he was a guy they would get some mileage out of. Uh, you know what? What soured Sullivan on his uh, on on Reeves being a part of this team? I don't know. I don't know that anybody outside the organization does. Um, but you know, even though that the experiment, if you want to consider it as such, didn't work out, I don't know that it necessarily precludes others in the future uh, having a more favorable outcome for the Penguins. Yeah, I think I think when there, this discussion happens anywhere, there's a tendency. Well, actually, there's a tendency with all dialogues right now to, that everything has to be an extreme uh, when you're talking about one thing or the other. Like if you're so, if you're talking about the ultimate uh, Ron Hextall slash Brian Burke roster, that just means you want twenty Nick Luciches on your team, uh, and I mean the current Nick Lucic, not the one. In Boston, who could score? But the one, the the Alberta version, uh, and that's obviously not the case. It's not like they don't look down there and think to themselves. When you talk about toughness, uh, you know, I, I look at a, a guy like Jake Gensel, who's the antithesis of everything that we're talking about here. But at the same time, is nails tough. You know, Brian Rust is tough, and yet these guys bring you a different dimension. Dave, when I've heard. Mike Sullivan speak about players like Rust and Sullivan. Uh, I'm sorry, Rust and uh, Gensel, and even even Dominic Simone when he was here, he would refer to him constantly as being a physical player. And they, when you think of physical, what are you talking about? Physical? Dominic Simone wouldn't hurt a fly, but he meant his ability to fight for pucks and to get underneath sticks and all that other Mike Sullivan type stuff. And I do hear. Maybe it's just my imagination, or maybe he needs to show something different, but I do hear something of a bias toward this this type of player, and I would understand and respect it because he's wearing a couple of rings. You know? Yeah, for, he's for got a 40% success rate in yes. Pittsburgh, which is, yes. is pretty good. It's pretty good. He's Ted Williams. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a guy who's won with smaller players who didn't need protection, by the way, protection, Whenever they were getting, I mean, you remember, especially in, in 2016, my, my goodness, the things that were happening to these guys, uh, especially in the Washington series. I mean, they were just getting destroyed out there physically. And they just kept playing. And he sees that as the path. Yeah. And I mean, a real good deterrent to teams taking physical advantage of you is to score on the power plays that mm -hmm. you get. 
you know, they've started to do that lately. But I, I want to one thing that you you mentioned a Ron Hextall, Brian Burke team. And I don't know that those are identical by any means. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the team that in Philadelphia now that was largely constructed by Hextall, yeah. he, you he, know, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of criticism there because they actually go out and try to play hockey. Uh, <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know, Brian Burke, you know, he, introduced the term truculence, uh, you know, to the hockey lexicon. I was going to say probably the entire language. That was probably him. Uh, But, you know, Hextall appreciates skill. And now, you know, uh, he also likes guys with grit, you know, Travis Konechny and and people like that. Mm -hmm. You know, he, but I, I don't know that, if he and Brian Bark were sitting down and building teams from scratch, that they would necessarily come up with the same 18 skaters. Well, how, how would that dovetail then? I mean, I understand this whole thing needs to be played out. I mean, you're still looking at a situation where these guys have been together for just a couple of months. And I'll say it again, the only move has been adding Mark Friedman. But here, you're better equipped to answer this than anybody, and you still probably won't have the answer. But when Brian Burke was brought in, everyone to a man, David Morehouse that day, said that this was a this was a Mario thing. This was this was this was Mario Lemieux jumping in and saying, Hey, what about Berkey? I think was the exact uh, terminology there. Um, Mario had as a player I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm sharing this with a group here. At an, an immense respect uh, for the tough guys, for the big guys who would take care of him. Uh, very much, ironically, believed in that part of the game, not the cheap stuff and whatever else. And I just wonder if there wasn't part of that was part of Mario's thinking was let's just find a way to toughen this up. You know that that would be the reason that he'd bring Burke in. Well, I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, who knows what Lemieux's thinking because he so rarely shares his thoughts with us. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if his thinking has evolved over the years much, much as the game has. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't afford to have a knuckle dragger, you know, in your lineup today, whereas, you know, 25 or 30 years ago, it was almost a necessity just to protect your, your skilled players. Now, if you sacrifice a a spot in your lineup to a guy who can't really play the game, you know, you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage. So again, I, I don't profess to know what, what Lemieux is thinking. Um, but I, I don't think that he, he thought of, of hiring Brian Burke, um, simply because he wanted to bring him back a, a mentality, you know, from the 1980s. Or well, I'm not even the- necessarily referring to fighting. I, I, in, I, in the the bigger, more physical sense, uh, I, I could see him being interested in seeing some of that brought. Look, you know, we we, we watch the team too. We we kind of see the same things. You know, I mean, they don't they don't do that with anybody. And at the same time, I mean, the easy counter to that is, well, look, all they've done is win games <laughs> for the most part, and in 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 a lot of ways, win a lot of games that they shouldn't have won, you know? 
it's a fair point. It's, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, actually, I, I don't know that we'll see this resolved, uh, this question between now and the, the mm -hmm. trade deadline, April 12th, uh, in part because I think, you know, Hextall's hands are kind of tied by, yeah. you know, the limited number of assets he has to uh, to deal that would be attractive, you know, to somebody willing to trade a significant piece. Mm. Um, you know, the salary cap, cap issues yeah. that Pittsburgh has. Um, and really, you know, the Penguins aren't going to continue to accumulate points at the pace they have been lately. I mean, that's not realistic. But if they can win their share of games while some of their injured players get healthy, I think that takes away some of the urgency for, for Hextall to make an impact move before the trade deadline. Joined now by Alex Stumpf, who covers the Pirates for us at DK Pittsburgh Sports. The Pirates, of course, on the eve of their 135th season and the first in which there is any discussion anywhere about where and when infielders should have their feet planted around the time of a first pitch. Alex, what are I, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but what are your thoughts on the whole concept of banning the shift now that it seems to be at least gaining momentum as a discussion point? Yeah, and it's actually going to be banned in double A, which is this year, which is kind of dumb because there aren't that many shifts in double A to start. So it's a terrible barometer to check to see if this will work. But I am, I'm firmly against it. Like I am a firm believer in you have nine fielders. One of them has to be behind the plate. One of them has to be on the mound. Who cares where you put the other seven? It's, if you want to have a five-person infield, go for it. If you want to have a four-person outfield, go for it. If it really makes sense just to leave half of the field open because the batter will never hit it out that way, you know what? Make the batter hit that way. To I, I don't like the idea of the infield shift being banned. What and is it exactly never... that they're they're talking about? What what are let, let's go through that first. What is it okay. that they're looking at? What are they what are they talking about? What is this suggestion? Because I'm not sure I've fully processed this. At least in double A, this is what's going to be. I don't know if it's officially, officially part of the season or if it's still in that, you know, part of a discussion on what's going to happen in the minor league season. But the rules will be you will not be allowed to have more than four infielders on the dirt at any point, And you always have to have two on each side of second base. So you could technically, you know, shift the shortstop close to up the middle, you know, against a left handed hitter. It'd be kind of like a quasi shift still. But you can't have like what like the old Ted Williams look where you move, you know, the shortstop to second base, the third mm -hmm. baseman to shortstop, and then the second baseman's playing short right field. That that'd be just gone. And that I don't like the concept of that. It's gonna be a double A, at least in the old Pirates regime. It, it might have been different this time around, but they didn't do a whole lot of shifting until you got the triple A. Well, let's so, let's uh, let, let, let's. Uh, I, I'm not worried about the minor leagues at all, but in, in the majors. But this is the is, first step for it. No, no, no. I know, I know. Else. No, yeah. I know. But I mean, whatever the impact is on the minors, I don't care about. The, 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 as far as the majors go, when you look at these players and where they're positioned on the field at the time that a pitch is thrown, the first thought I have is who is going to enforce this and how. Which one of the four umpires is going to stop before the pitch and go, 
Aha, you, I saw you. I saw you there with your foot on the wrong side of the bag. Who's going to do that? There's so many rules that Major League Baseball has made right. over the last couple of years <laughs> that we have we just haven't crossed that bridge. Like we haven't seen the team that just has said, you know what? Forget about it. I'm going out to the pitcher's mound a seventh time. I really don't care that I don't have that extra mound visit anymore. I'm gonna talk to my pitcher. We haven't seen any team do that yet. We haven't seen any team be like, no, I'm taking my pitcher out after only facing two batters and the inning's not over. So I I really don't know how they could be like, no. A little closer over here. That, that just I, sounds I like see what you're saying. That That's point. just a, a matter of yeah. And then there always has to be a punishment. Like if they if yeah. they find out, you know, what do you, what do you do? You go by a replay, like the NHL's offside thing that you see that the foot was over by a millimeter, and therefore everything that followed that in the play, like the goal or the hit, gets waved off. Um, that said, let me ask you a question right. based on what you said earlier. What does the shift add to the game? What does it add to the fan experience? Why would you want to keep it? I mean, you would want to keep it because it's strategy. It's a way to legitimately make your For people like you, because you're really, really into this stuff. I'm not talking about you, Alex. (laughs) <laughs> talking okay, about everybody who do claim though that all oh, the game's ruined or whatever how many uh-huh. people really only care about wins and losses though that's what really ends up mattering if, if it's an ends to a mean is it they will I mean, the game still that. has to be entertaining otherwise we would be you know we'd be packing arenas and stadiums for sports that don't currently do anything of the kind if it's just about wins and losses if it's just about pittsburgh versus so-and-so uh the game's got to be entertaining. Look, I, I think we can agree that the game's gotten spectacularly dull, right? It's definitely – I won't use the word spectacularly dull, but it has moved into a much slower pace. But why? Pitches, it, that's just the way that the game has incentivized. You know, that's how they reward them. Because of the juice, totally not juice baseball that Major League Baseball, you know, put out and now deaded, even though the ball is never juiced try to follow that train of logic at any point Mm -hmm. it really incentivized to hit home runs and if you're a pitcher it really incentivized to not give up contact under any means necessary so more strikeouts so the three true outcomes we're seeing more and more and more of those that's that's what's slowing the game down more than anything it's boring it's boring these games are boring and and that's not sometimes when people who i guess you know who only peripherally follow baseball We'll hear that they just think it's about the time of game and the you know the four-hour Yankees versus Red Sox catastrophes that happen, but it's 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 not. There's nobody on base, Alex, and it's a really hard thing I think to sell this game, which is baseball, which is moving from base to base, as as exciting when there aren't people on base. There aren't people on base because either either the shifts or the the ramped up you know velocities and strikeouts because everybody's trying to uppercut everything out of the stadium. The combination of those two things has been deadly. It's deadly. It's awful. When I, I, I you know when, when I'm in a game, I want to be able to say, "Hey, now see, there's a guy on first and second, and I, and then this could happen, and then this could happen." But watch what the pitcher has to do here, and watch what the catcher has to do to keep this. That to me is baseball strategy, not somebody coming up with diagrams 
seven hours before the game on where the infielder should be placed like pins on the infield. That's not entertaining to me. Watching an actual baseball game is. I'm going to take this point a different way, though, because who are the what demographic of players above all else get shifted more than anyone else? The power hitters, the home run hitters, the guy, especially just to overclarify the left handed power hitters, because it's yep. harder to shift the right hander. The Joey Gallows, the Adam Dunn's of the world, if you take away the shift, that's basically the only way to combat those stats and, and prevent the game just going totally to them if you could make sure that if they hit a ground ball you could get an out out of it if they get you know these more than their fair share of little chunk ground balls hits all that's going to do is raise their batting average raise their on base percentage and incentivize teams to go more and more after those types of players which is just going to further increase the home run spike and the slowing down of the game and the strikeout rates so i i, I am going to agree i do love the purity of of small ball baseball but that's not in, entirely viable over 162 games well anymore. i'm not speaking in absolutes here i think when you're talking about uh you know brian goodwin brought this up uh the reserve outfielder who was recently uh, cut from the pirates roster early in the spring he was talking just as a thing as in you know, as a as a part of the game, and he being a fast guy who's had not not a ton of steals, but some uh, over the course of his professional career, was like, I don't know why they wouldn't want that in baseball. Uh, we have people like a Lou Brock. Not that Lou Brock wasn't a good overall player, uh, but Lou Brock's in the hall because of his steals. Uh, you have, uh, you know, Ricky Henderson, who could do everything and was the ultimate on-base machine and everything. But still, Ricky's known for picking second base out of the ground. You know, uh, that part of the game is just virtually gone. And certainly, as it applies to uh, players being stars for that, and that that takes some of the athleticism out of the game and the excitement out of the game. And I'm going to say it again: it's replaced with computer based pin drops that are not interesting, that are not exciting, and that are not athletic. I, I want to see actual baseball, base-to-base -base baseball. To put a nice bow on this, I guess, I would bring up that John Baker, the new uh, director of player development, yep. he, whenever he's he's talked about it, he's like, look, we're not going to throw away you know, all these advancements, all this new technology, what we've learned about the game over the last couple decades. But he also longs for a lot of that old school thing. Yeah, like, you know, that, think... things right. We're going to run the bases well. We're going to do defense better. And you know mm -hmm. what? Say what you want about the 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates. Those are two aspects in spring training that I saw a noticeable improvement out of that group. Yeah, and and I think look, that's that's where I think people get unnecessarily defensive. You and I have had the conversation uh, for a long time now about. Uh, the idea that the that analytics and people who believe in analytics as if they are some sort of, you know, deity as opposed to just being math, uh, are a community and that there's a side to be taken like it's politics and it's not, man. If everybody just wants better baseball, it's okay to have information and analytics. If they changed the rules, if they eliminated the shift, 
your analytics and your studies and your applications of it would all just move into a different area. Okay, now how can we become the greatest base-stealing team of the new era? Do you know what I mean? And now all of a sudden, you're yeah, you're looking at different dynamics. And then you know what would happen, Alex? The analytics community would be all on board with it. This is great because, hey, look, analytics are now part of this. And you know I'm right about this. Because the, the main defense of the shift that everybody has is that it's analytics-based. Don't mess with it because analytics, you know? And it's just, it's not necessary. Just make the game better. Make it more entertaining. The whole analytics movement is there's something that's undervalued, whether it's OBP one year or slugging percentage or yes. maybe base running in the future. That's what should be driving every team. Always. Play. It's the principle of Moneyball. It is the defining mm -hmm. principle of Moneyball is finding the weak spot in the market, so to speak. And so many people have lost sight of that and think that it's just about, uh, we did this and we did it with math and therefore it's great. No, I mean, you know, Make the game better. The game is suffering. The game is, you could, I don't know if it's dramatic to say that it's dying uh, because it's still healthy in the markets that don't need a salary cap. Uh, but in a lot of other places across the United States, including Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, yeah, it's dying. <laughs>